The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pa to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 17 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. I feel like I need to play a holiday song. Happy holidays. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to your holiday episode of Pod Chat Talking Dance. It really isn't a holiday episode, so I don't know why I'm saying that, but, you know, we're right in the, the thick of the holidays. Uh, this will go up on Friday, and then a couple days later, we will have our Christmas and Chris, Christmas Eve and Christmas, Hanukkah. And then I won't have another episode out uh, because every two weeks we post until uh, after the new year. So I want to wish you all a wonderful holiday. Um, If you can't tell, I still have not completely gotten my voice back. It's getting a little better each day, but um, I can't believe that it's been pretty much over a month at this point that I've, I've been struggling with my voice, but you know, that's life. I'm working on it. Hopefully I have a couple of days off over the holidays. I mean, I have a couple of days off over the holidays. Hopefully it will get better then. So yeah, that is that. What is going on with the holidays? Oh, for holiday plans, I'm actually going to go visit my family in the suburbs of Philadelphia, which will be nice for a couple of days. Uh, maybe see some friends and some family and then head back to New York. I will be teaching all of my Broadway Dance Center classes except for uh, the two classes on the Tuesdays that are Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Our Broadway Dance Center closes their classes down at 4.30 that day. So I won't be teaching then. And then that Thursday, the 26th, I won't be there. But other than that, I will be around. If you happen to find yourself in the city for the holiday, please uh, come and say hi. Remind me that you are a podcast listener. I love to meet you guys. Uh, what else? I'm also teaching at Broadway Dance Center's Winter Intensive. I'm, I'm teaching the the older group, so like the 12 to 21 year olds. Um, so I'll be teaching a ballet bar every morning to warm everybody up for that. And that's happening the last week of December. Um, yeah. And what's new? Uh, everything else is just movement headquarters, movement headquarters, movement headquarters. Uh, in exciting news, our tickets went on sale for our show this past Monday. So uh, we have two shows at 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. on Sunday, February 16th at the Alvin Ailey City Group Theater. And you can head on over to Movement Headquarters uh, website, the www.movementhqballet.org. That's www.movementhqballet.org. You can click on our performance page for details and you can purchase tickets there. Uh, or you can call 1-877-895-3378 and you can also purchase your tickets through there. It's crazy. Two shows, we have about 550 seats. I'm hoping that we sell out. That would be amazing to have a company debut in Midtown Manhattan and to sell out, you know, one can dream. 
Uh, but yeah, so that's what's happening with that. Uh, and other than that, uh, it's the end of the year. So I, I can't, <laughs> I wouldn't be a good director if I didn't mention this. Uh, if you are looking to make any year end donations to, you know, pull yourself down a tax bracket, um, <laughs> please do consider movement headquarters in your end of your giving. Uh, you can also go to that same website that I gave previously and go to our support page or click our donate button and make an end of the year donation. All donations are tax deductible. So, uh, we got a long way to go before we get to these shows and any help would be fantastic. Alrighty. We got that out of the way. Uh, what are we, what am I talking about today? So yeah, okay, we're right towards the, we're in the thick of the holiday season, and like I said, by the time that uh, we get to the next podcast, it'll be 2020. That's crazy. I feel like I should have done like a best of the decade episode, but that's not happening. That would take too long for me to prep, and with everything going on, I don't have time for that stuff. Uh, but yeah, so I was looking through the calendar as I prepped this episode and I realized that it was the my final episode of 2019. So it only seems reasonable to sum up the year 2019. Last year of the teens are about to head into the roaring 20s. I wonder if there'll be flappers and prohibition and all that junk. I know there's definitely impeachment, but I'm not getting into the politics today, people. It's the holidays. <laughs> Actually, that just happened like an hour ago. I'm recording on Wednesday. So I don't even know enough about what's happening to talk about it. <laughs> One of my friends just texted me. So yeah. Uh, so if you're Democrat or Republican, don't worry. You don't have to leave. We're sticking to the script, people. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, to be completely honest, 2019 sucked. Like it sucked in so many ways. Um, and from what I'm hearing, I, I'm not the only person that feels this way. <laughs> 2019, I think, will definitely go down in the record books as one of my more challenging years. Um, it just seemed like something happened in the air this year for most people. And there was just a lot that people went through. So I don't know if it's like events in the world that end up permeating like everyday life or if it's like, I don't know, Saturn's in retrograde. <laughs> um, I don't really believe in astrology, but it's fun to talk about, right? You're a Libra, aren't you? Yes, I am. But yeah, I'm getting off track. Get back on track, Barry. Um, yeah, so even though that 2019 was a challenging year, it doesn't mean that there weren't highlights as well. So I'm going to take today's episode to share my highs, my lows, and everything else in between for the year 2019 in hopes of beckoning on <laughs> beckoning on a fantastic, wonderful, successful, enjoyable 2020. Pick all your positive adjectives you can, throw them into that sentence, and we can go on. All right. So this is how we're going to do it, people. Um, I'm going to just have like, I don't know. I almost feel like I'm doing a yearbook where like best dressed, <laughs> most outgoing. Um, that's how I'm going to do it. So biggest learning experience. <clears throat> I always feel like I learn so much when I'm traveling internationally. And if you've been listening, you know that my husband and I started our, our 2019 in Chiang Mai in Thailand. And this was at the tail end of our second honeymoon. That started at the end of 2018. So mid-December, we headed over to Hong Kong. Uh, by Christmas, we were in Cambodia. Um, 
And then right before New Year's, we went to Phuket in Thailand. And then on December 31st, we headed up to Chiang Mai up in the north of Thailand. Uh, so that was like 2018. And then in 2019, we brought 2019 with this like amazing experience. Uh, we ended up meeting two uh, wonderful people from San Francisco, originally from Mumbai. They were actually visiting their family in Mumbai and they, they wanted to take a break, so they came to Chiang Mai. But we met them in the line to get on our plane to Chiang Mai and then we ended up sitting next to each other and then we exchanged numbers and we ended up spending New Year's together. And the cool thing is we've hung out with them twice in the US since we came back. They came to New York and uh, I had dinner with them. Uh, Dan, my my husband, was busy working. But then we when we went to San Francisco, we actually had dinner with them in San Francisco too. So how cool is that? Um, I always wanted to be like one of those people that you hear those cool stories about and it happened and I didn't even try to make it happen. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, from Chiang Mai to Bangkok, uh, the first week of 2019, we experienced a lot on the tail end of our vacation. After playing with elephants, uh, visiting ancient ruins and learning so much, we ended up encountering a major issue uh, on our way home. So we flew from Bangkok to uh, Incheon in South Korea, which is essentially like right outside of Seoul. Um, And then we flew from Seoul to, I think, JFK in New York. So once we got on the plane, we realized uh, there was an issue with our seating. And when we brought it up to the staff, um, they kind of ignored us. And then when we asked to talk to somebody higher level, it, it, it became very clear that they were discriminating us. Um, I've heard from many people that South Korea is not very friendly towards gays. And I had on my phone very clear information that, that where we should be sitting. And the part of the reason why this was so important was, first off, this was like, I think it was like a 16-hour flight. Um, and second, I had hurt my back in Thailand. So we had gotten seats specifically on the end so that I didn't have to sit the entire time because sitting is really bad for my back. And if I do 16 hours, I'm probably going to hurt it. And then I already had hurt it. So it was an important issue that we wanted to have taken care of. But I, uh, it was really bad. It, they tried to shame us on the flight by going on the loudspeaker and claiming that we were delaying the entire flight um, when they really were not being reasonable because I had documentation on my phone. So yeah, it, it, 2019, aside from the first week, like our first, like our first heading home, uh, I guess it, it kind of felt like it set the, what's well, not the standard, but it set like the tone for the year. Um, I mean, it wasn't the, and, and while this wasn't the best experience that I've had, I, I learned that I've learned how to stay calm in an extreme situation through this because we, we wanted to get home. We didn't want to get kicked off the flight. We also didn't want to get arrested because you see things happen on flights now and it goes from like zero to 100 very quickly. And I was proud of myself and my husband that we were able to stay so calm in the situation. But I also learned what it feels like to be discriminated against. Uh, being a cisgendered white male, um, I can walk down the street generally and not have to worry about anything. Now, granted, yes, I'm Jewish and I'm gay and that has caused issues. Um, But usually just like the way I look isn't an issue. Um, So it gave me a lot of perspective into what it's like to be different here in the United States and to experience racism and discrimination. Um, 
And that's, I think, a valuable thing for anybody to learn. Um, and then the other thing that I learned through this experience was how good my husband and I are banding together as a unit. Um, of course, like every couple like works well together and then they have certain things that they don't work well together with. Like when we move, like we don't pack together. He's a professional and I think that I know better than him, even though he's a professional and <laughs> he's really good at what he does. And he's usually, he's usually right. I'm just stubborn. <laughs> so like we've learned what we, we shouldn't do together. I think every couple figures that out, but, um, I learned that like in a situation like this, we are a very good team. We also travel really well together. So he's a keeper. Yeah. So that was that. All right. Next proudest moment. Um, I would say my proudest moment was the success of our first in studio showing for movement headquarters. Um, I was so nervous to put this on. It took me years to really like feel like it was the appropriate time to do it. And I had so much support from dancers in our community and a handful of other people uh before i even started getting support from like the dance community at large and my, my open class students all that there were a few like key players that were really pushing me to do this so uh getting to sit in the sold out martha graham studios as the late august sunset against the manhattan skyline and seeing 80 people sitting in seats and starting a fundraising campaign that raised eleven thousand dollars and then watching my dancers kill it and it's funny because like with the theme of 2019 one of our dancers got hurt and the thing is like we still trucked on and it still went spectacularly and there was just energy in the air and it was it wasn't energy like i've experienced before it was all of these people that were there that supported me whether i knew them very well or i knew them kind of through my classes and just feeling this like collective like pressure but like you know pressure can be a good thing but this collective pressure of wanting to please everybody and them also on the other side being like we want to support him and we hope this is good and then when it was to see like the relief and the excitement that we had all like met on the same page I was so proud of that moment um, the day after all that, cause of all the hard work I put in that Sunday after the showing, um, I felt, I don't know if I've ever felt the way that I did after that. Uh, like, sorry, I don't know if I've ever felt that way that I did after the showing. Um, I really felt like I was floating and I've had those like moments where I feel like that, but it was like, it felt like the beginning of something that could be life changing. And that was special i'm trying to describe it but uh it's really hard to describe so yeah i was really proud of that all right so this is how we work we go great and then we go to something else and so it's gonna be a little a spread you're gonna be crying you're gonna be laughing you're gonna be smiling and everything in between okay most difficult moment i i think that most of you probably know what this is because it just happened and i talked about it in my last episode um the most difficult moment of this year was putting our cat to sleep. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I know I did just detail it. <laughs> Say detail again, Barry. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like when I was a kid, we had uh, I had a cat named Rascal, and my sister had a a dog named Chucky, and our cat. 
like that cat was like the was amazing cat like it would wake me it would like if I whispered its name it would come running to me um it would wake me up at the right time by like licking my eyelids it would sleep in under the covers with me like by my feet and I just loved that cat so much I was eight and I thought like I'm so lucky to have such a cool cat um and then I don't know if I've shared this uh, in this format before, but so long story short, there was a situation where uh, somebody like harassed my mom through our front door and my sister's dog snapped. It was an Akita, like a really, really big Japanese, like Japanese dog. Um, and so that dog became vicious and it would protect my mom at all costs, but also it became vicious in other areas of life. Um and we came home one day and we found a trail of blood leading to our basement. And um, we found the our other cat with that cat. Um, and the cat was alive. But what we learned was that the dog attacked the cat and fractured its spine. And we ended up putting it to sleep two, two weeks later because there was just no way to provide a, a good quality of life. And ever since that moment, I always felt like I was robbed like I was robbed of this life and this experience that I could have had with this cat because we were like such great buddies and um it had only been like two years and I felt like I should have had 10 years 15 years 20 years and I feel like I've always had that in the back of my mind when it comes to pets like I've always judged other pets against that so Back in 2000, what was it? I moved to Seattle in 2004. I got the cats in 2005. Back in 2005, when I got Maddie and Psycho, because I'm weird and named my cats Madam Rubs a lot, and then Psycho, um, I thought that uh, our cat Maddie was going to be that cat. And I loved Maddie. She was a great cat. She was a little crazy and neurotic, um, but her, her soul was good. But so when we moved to New York back in 2017, she very quickly got sick and we didn't realize it right away but she was acting crazy and then when she got sick she went fast but when she went I, I think it didn't feel like as extreme of a loss because um I was like we still have another cat and this cat is so kind and caring and sweet and loving and affectionate um and chill like chill as could be I was it, it, it helped uh it helped make it the loss less painful. So, and also she was very sick uh, for the last six months that we had her. So it was almost a relief to put her to sleep because it was getting to the point where she was starting to become a stressor. Um, like, is she going to go outside of the box? Things like that. Is she going to meow all day and all night and we're not going to be able to sleep? Um, so yeah, when Psycho got sick. It happened very fast. I'm, I'm glad it happened very fast because I wouldn't want to have had to, I, I wouldn't want to keep him around just for, because I want him around. My husband wants him around. Um, so I'm glad it happened how fast it did, but I wish I had more time. But in the end, like, I'm so grateful to, I, I know you're going to laugh when I say psycho because it's a funny name, but I'm so grateful because I feel like I got to experience that thing that I felt was stolen from me as a kid, uh, that bond with a pet where we could actually communicate. Like we communicated, we, we would like sleep spooning and like holding each other, like each other's like paw in hand. Um, he would sit like a weird human being on his butt. Um, he would know how to like 
get me to stop working for time. Like he was just such a special cat and that was so difficult. And I think the most difficult thing was also just like questioning when was the right time because like you want to do it before they're in too much pain, but also you don't want to like do it too early. Like my, I was, I was like, what if like we put him to sleep and the last thought in his head is like, what are you doing to me? Um, and we did it so right. Like we had some, we had a vet come to our home. We paid extra to have a vet come to our home. We did it on our couch. Um, just the two of us and the vet, we didn't have to walk outside afterwards, which that was hard with Maddie. Um, and we, we had time together. And then as he slowly went to sleep, he looked at us like, thank you for relieving me of this pain. Um, there was calmness and relaxation. There, there was no sense of like, what are you doing to me? So it was very difficult. Um, but at the same time, like I, like I was saying, I just feel so grateful that I got to finally experience what I felt was taken away from me as a child. So yeah, that's that. That sucks. But we're not gonna we're not gonna wallow in that too much. I'm gonna pull myself together, <laughs> um, and we're gonna talk about the most healing and humbling moment of 2019 for me. So, um, as I've talked about many times, I had my final performance gig in Oakland, California. My major, first, sorry, final major performance gig in Oakland, California, and. Um, the whole situation was messed up. I ended up practically homeless and blah, blah, blah. If you've been listening, you know that story. If you haven't, you can listen back a few episodes because I talk about this. Um, but yeah, so it was so healing and humbling to return back to San Francisco five years after the gig that ended my career. Um, it was so nice to go and like, first off, like it started off with the idea we're staying, we're going to see one of my best friends who just moved from New York and to stay with him for, and his, and his boyfriend for a week. Um, so that was like awesome. It was my birthday. I was feeling good. That was awesome. Um, and then like getting to walk around the streets, it was, it was, it was very necessary for me to do that because like I always sort of associate everything with Oakland ballet, but what I didn't realize was that I had so many emotions attached to the streets of San Francisco. Um, because I was staying with people that I didn't know and I was usually staying on their couches and I felt like I was intruding and, even though I was very grateful, like I didn't feel like I belonged at anybody's house um, because of the situation. So what I would do is on my days off, I would wake up early. I would get off the couch. I would get ready and I would leave wherever I was staying, usually by like 9 or 10 a.m. And then I would walk around until it got too dark out. And then I would come home around like 8 and then I would go to sleep. Um, So what I didn't realize was that the traumatic emotions I had, even if the areas that I, even if the areas that I I was walking around, um, didn't have negative memories, like the, um, the traumatic emotion I was experiencing was attached to the streets of San Francisco. It wasn't a person. It wasn't uh, an entity. It was the very like fabric of the city, just walking down the streets, uh, in the state today, I, I recognized how, my only solace was this were, my only solace was within the streets of San Francisco. Um, and I'm so grateful because I, I'm a city person. I love cities. I love going for walks. I love skyscrapers. So I feel that the only like solace I had was the city and to get to go back around. It was painful because I, I, 
I had to sort of like go back through those emotions. It was like therapy. Um, but then I got to make some great new memories with my husband and my, my friends by my side the whole time. And, um, yeah, that was, that was special. I'm really glad that I did that. I didn't think I should go. Um, money's been really tight this year and we had planned this like months in advance. And by the time that we got to October, I was like, I should cancel this. Um, but you know, sometimes you just have to like suck it up and you have to allow yourself to do things even if you can't afford it in that moment. Because I mean, in the end, all we have is our emotional health. Um, and I mean, there's so many other aspects to being, <clears throat> to being human, but like, if you don't come to terms with the things that at one point destroyed you, like you can't heal and you'll hold on to those things and they'll hold you back. And I think I needed to, I needed to return so that I, I knew that that was a period of my life, but that wasn't me all, all the time. That wasn't like, I didn't cause that situation. That situation happened to me. Um, and there, there was a, a while when I felt that I had caused that whole situation and I had a lot of pain and guilt, not that it affected too many other people, but like guilt that I allowed myself to get to that place. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm looking at these, at my list of things and I'm like, oh, that's negative. Oh, that's negative. I'm going to switch a couple of these around because I want to talk positive because I feel like I'm like, wah, 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 wah. Childhood realization. Um, what was my 2019 childhood realization? Um, beginning to work as a judge for competitions and conventions has been really cool and really exciting for me. Um, the first place I was ever reached out to by was Dance Teachers United. And that's a wonderful small competition down in the south in Louisiana and Alabama and uh, Mississippi area. I think actually it's just Mississippi and Louisiana. Um, but yeah, so getting to go down and do that was so cool because I was a competition kid and I was always like, it'd be like amazing to be a judge. Like when you've done that, you've made it. That's like my 14 year old self. Um, <laughs> so thank you, 14 year old Barry. You made it. You got it. You figured it out. Um, but yeah, so that start, sort of like kicked it off. But, um, now I've signed to, uh, be a judge with the Youth America Grand Prix, which is another full circle childhood realization moment. Um, I'll be judging my first YAGP at the Denver Regionals in February. Um, and then hopefully I'll be doing a lot more in 2020. Um, I'm also going back to Dance Teachers United in Hattiesburg in January at Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And then I'm also joining one of my colleagues at Broadway Dance Center, Tracy Stanfield, at the main stage dance competition in Sioux City, Iowa. So I'm going to be going to Iowa for the first time. Love adding new states to my list. Um, so yeah, that's like been a cool childhood realization to like know what it feels like to be on the other side of the table. And one thing that I've like really learned uh, through judging uh, competitions and teaching master classes. Also, like I I just recently did an audition uh, for the pro semester. I ran an audition for the ballet section um, with Broadway Dancer. Like when you're a student and you're like being judged you feel like you're really, really being judged. But what I'm learning is like everybody, like whether you're, you're trying to get like a summer intensive scholarship, whether you're trying to get college, like into a college, whether you're like 
trying to get a company audition or you're just competing, um, everybody at the front of the room wants you to do well. Like I see people and if something goes wrong, I'm like, no, I really want it to work for you. It's not like I'm like, wow, they thought that pirouette, like not interested in them. Like you see dancers young and, uh, old and you want them to succeed. Um, and it's, it's almost, it's not, it's not disappointing in the sense like I'm disappointed in you if something goes wrong or you, or you didn't do well enough to like get a high score or to get a scholarship or anything like that. Um, I'm not like, oh, I'm disappointed. It's like, I'm disappointed because I wanted you to do well. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm disappointed because I wanted it to work out for you. So, um, that's been really cool. Okay. Now I can go back to another one. Um, most disappointing. I think, uh, most disappointing thing for me this year was dealing with the fallout of a poorly timed and improperly prepared change of leadership at one of the schools that I worked at. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this because I'm not here to call anybody out. And I still very much like people on both sides of that situation at that school. And I I hope that everybody is doing well. Um, But just the way that it all went down, it just... It could have been dealt with better and it put a lot on me and then I started to burn out and when I was vocalizing that I was burnt out because there was so much happening, it wasn't taken care of and it eventually led to me leaving the organization. Um, And I really, really cared for that school and I really loved that school and I was willing to give a lot of myself, but it just got to the point where I couldn't emotionally maintain uh, that job and I had to choose to leave the organization. But I mean, timing is everything. I really wanted to focus on my company and that probably would have happened down the line, but it sort of just like fast forwarded that situation. So that situation fast forwarded me actually taking the time. So I do think 2019 for me was a year where a lot of things started to, it's, it's almost like a, a storm and you can't see outside your window And then slowly but surely you see like the clouds like get out of the way and then you see like the sun come through. Like I feel like 2019 has been like a parting of the clouds making space for me to allow myself to realize my potential. I feel like, I mean, I don't know, ego barrier, here's my ego, but I feel like I have the ability to do wonderful things in in the dance world and the community. And I feel like sometimes I have felt that I had to do certain things and they have gotten in the way from like my, my number one, like choreography is my number one. I teach because I choreograph and I love teaching because I love to choreograph. Um, and then everything else is like educating myself, like getting to share all this information with you is just like an outlet for all of the things that I've learned. Um, so I feel like 2019 was like a parting of clouds to allow me to see clearly. Um, and it's like a storm, like a storm can cause damage. It can blow trees over, it can erode, it can do all these things. But in the end, it, it it's trying to replenish at the same time. So I'm hoping that 2019 was all of that and that 2020 will be that like, that replenishment. Uh, it's like like planting in the same field for six years, taking a seventh year off, and then you have a a much better crop in the end because of that. So 
that's that. <laughs> Got a few more of these. Hopefully I don't lose my voice completely by the end. Um, favorite dance performance. Um, while no singular performance I saw this year struck me as uh, spectacular as a whole, um, I, I, I mean, I didn't get to see as much dance as I wanted to. I did see a lot of dance, mostly at the Joyce, which more experimental stuff in touring companies. I wish that I could have afforded to see more New York City Ballet and more American Ballet Theater. But yeah, I was particularly intrigued by a piece that Aspen Santa Fe did at the Joyce. I think it was in June or July. Um, it was called Dreamplay, and it was to the music of Satie, choreographed by Fernando Mello. And uh, it was just fascinating. Dancing for a major ballet company, you tend to do some really amazing work that's really well known, uh, but you don't perform or learn experimental work like extremely experimental work as frequently. And this work was just so interesting. It was performed laying down on the stage. Uh, and you could see the dancers like underneath a projection screen, but then they filmed it from above the stage and they projected that onto uh, a screen with like a black and white camera. And the, it made it look like the dancers were dancing upright, but in like an old school film like a before talkies like silent films um it was fascinating it was so cool it was humorous it was, and it was inspirational it's especially inspirational for me because uh choreographically like i'm used to stage performance and less experimental work and uh, it really is really got me to start like dreaming outside of the box so that i could see like where i could go with things beyond just like pure dance all the time cool all right biggest regret my biggest regret is not taking better care of myself um <laughs> listen to my voice i wish i could have taken a day off but i couldn't because of that replaceable and irreplaceable podcast the art of not taking care of yourself check that one out um i hurt my back when my husband fell in cambodia and i came back and i tried to like just give it a break and then i went to go dance and I maybe didn't get, give enough time or get any treatment. And then I started having pain down the side of my leg. And I thought I needed a hip replacement. Um, but I still couldn't take care of it because I couldn't afford it. And then what else? So that's still kind of, I mean, the leg's feeling a little bit better. The back's still there. Hurt my shoulder in August. Uh, that's like getting a little better, but not a lot better. But it's like, it's it's getting hard. It's, it's hard to take care of myself. I'm very busy. I have to work constantly so that I can pay my, my New York City rent and health insurance. Um, and then in a, speaking of health insurance, in the climate of high expenses and poor health insurance, I have a gold plan and I'm calling that poor health insurance. That's a shame. Um, don't get me started, people. But yeah, so it just made it extremely difficult to take care of myself. Um, and I hope that I, I can figure that out in 2020. I'm not there yet. So um, it's my biggest regret this year because, you know, you only get one body and I'm not doing a good enough job to take care of myself. And I need to figure that out. I do. Cause I want to be in this for the, as long as I can. Hmm. Back to positive. That's how we go. Good, bad, good, bad. Most grateful moment. Um, seeing the community around me come together to support my work, uh, from, the in-studio showing to our fundraising campaign to just like people coming up to me and telling me like how much they appreciate like what I do. So yeah, 
I've been really grateful for that. I, in Philadelphia, because I was traveling so much um, over the six years that we lived there, like I felt like I didn't really have a community, even though I kind of did, but I, I, I felt like I was, I felt like I would come into the community, but I wasn't a part of the community. Like I felt like I helped support others in Philadelphia, but I didn't feel like I got a lot of support from others because I was never around long enough. I'm not blaming anybody, but it's like I was never around long enough for them to like get to know me enough to support me. Um, but now that I've been in New York and like staying in New York and stable in New York, um, it's been an incredible just to see like how how the community has shown me their appreciation and respect. So I'm really grateful for that. Oh, this is a good one. Favorite experience. Were we there? Yeah, favorite experience of 2019. For me, I mean, I, I don't have like one particular experience. Here I go. I can't just answer the question, can I? Um, yeah, my favorite experience essentially, I mean, it was a, an experience as a whole. Um, not like one individual moment in a day. Um, but it was getting to create on so many professional artists in years past, I've focused on teaching uh, mostly kids to dance, and that means that like my choreography was mostly for competitions. But this year, I made an active effort to work more with professionals, from the Mark Marsh Shared Space Program to the Steps Performance Lab at Steps on Broadway. Um, I also did two Steps Professional Performance Workshops, where dancers actually paid to take my workshop, and they were all... All, almost all of them were pro- professionals that just were interested in learning my style and to get a chance to work with me, which was, I mean, how like cool is that? Um, and then also like preparing all of the dancer, all of my dancers with movement headquarters for the showing, building more choreography for the the show coming up in February. Um, and then one of my absolute favorite experiences of this year, which was kind of ex- unexpected, um, was getting to choreograph uh, contemporary work for the Broadway Dance Center Pro Semester. Um, that was such a gratifying experience. We had such a little time to do it. And I really, really pushed these dancers way out of their comfort zones. I oft, like I, Sometimes I go back and forth, like, do I, do I choreograph to the dancers or do I make the dancers come to my level? And I was unrelenting. I forced these dancers to come to my level and they succeeded. And the feedback that we've gotten from my piece has just been overwhelming. And um, the love that I felt from my cast and the respect and the trust was just incredible. So that was definitely one of my favorite experiences, but just getting to work in the studio in a professional format again was fantastic. Um, when I left performing, the one thing I kept on saying was that I missed working in a, in a professional setting. I missed the time and spent in the studio with adults <clears throat> pushing our bodies and minds and art to the limits. I missed that type of adult camaraderie. I missed the intensity of those rehearsals. I missed the environment. And I regained some of that this year. It was very important. And I I, I wasn't sure if it was ever going to happen again. Like it, it, it gives me hope that that magical feeling I had throughout my performance career can continue to live on in me through my work as a choreographer and a director. Um, I feel like a lot of professionals after they retire, they feel that like that they can never have that magical feeling of what it means to have a performance career again. And I think it's possible. I think I can do it. And 
I've missed it and I feel like I've been like desperately seeking it and this is the first year since 2014 that I I felt that I had that like not just like one experience but like a continuous experience so yeah with all of that said in 2019 what am I most looking forward to in 2020 I mean I think that this is an obvious one but showing everybody what I've been working so hard on uh why I I feel so special to have the dancers on my roster who believe in me and our mission and to finally give the attention to my choreography that I've been meaning to for years. Um, I feel like this is just the beginning of something big. I hope, I hope it is. Um, I, I want to be involved in the dance world long-term um, and I, I've said this before, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I, I've said this to people publicly. Um, the reason that I work so hard, um, in what I do is because I believe that the only way for, for people to stay in the art form is to feel fulfilled. Um, and that's not just artistically. I think the idea of like getting to live a good life outside of the studio is also very important and like the higher you raise your profile the better you can do for yourself and the more comfortable you are in your home and in your your personal life you you can give more back to your art so i work really really hard so that i could survive in this very challenging field both challenging work-wise and challenging uh financially um and I feel like everything is starting to come together so that I can share my voice, so that I I have a, a recognized brand, and that I can actually leave a mark on the dance world. I... I I'm not going to have kids. Like, my legacy is my art. It's my... It's my community, it's my teaching, it's my, it's my choreography, it's my, my voice through my choreography. So um, for me, I'm, I'm so looking forward to getting this, this company off the ground um, to see where we can go with it because this isn't like what I want to do. Like I feel like it's what I'm supposed to be doing. So yeah. That's my 2019 year in review. That's crazy. It was a year, people. It was a year. Like, it was a year for the record books, but, like, it was hard. It was really hard, but there were some really great things to come out of it, and I, I really just hope that um, everything was just making space for a wonderful 2020. So, yeah, I'm going to leave you with that. I hope that you have a wonderful holiday, whether you celebrate or you don't. Um, I hope you have a wonderful New Year's. Happy New Year's. Um, I'm just going to remind you one more time that uh, our tickets are on sale, www.movementhqballet.org. You can also make any end-of-the-year tax-deductible donations uh, there as well. And I guess I'll see all of y'all. <laughs> I'll talk to all of y'all in 2020, a new decade, the Roaring Twenties. 
here we come. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod of Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerolis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer. That's lifeoffreelancedancer.blogspot.com. And I wrote on there for five years about working as a freelance artist and independent contractor. I also have Dancing Off Stage, and you can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And I spoke on there about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel that features my choreography. You can find that at by going to youtube.com and searching for B. Corollis. Uh, and if you want to check out what Movement Headquarters is doing, we have a brand new YouTube, cha- YouTube channel and you can find that by typing in Movement Headquarters Ballet Company. Thanks for listening in to Pot of Chat. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk, dance with me, and remember to go out and support your local dance scene. Thank you.